It's new series day for me. We're starting a series day. It's new series day for all of us. But for me, it's like Christmas come early. My favorite thing is new beginnings, new starts, new series, stuff like this. This one is going to be special because we're not only going to be bringing our hearts and minds around the idea of what it means to truly be generous, but together, this is going to prime us for our Christmas offering. If you don't know this little detail about our church, around Christmas, we unapologetically try to receive the largest offering of the year. You're like, hold on, that's, that's, uh, that's giving, that's church talk, that's, you just told me that you unapologetically are going to try and get a large offering from your congregation. How is that okay, Matt? I'll tell you how it's okay. What we do with that offering is give 100% of it away. So we literally, if you're into nerdy budget stuff, have a pass-through account, and that's meant because that money passes through that account. Nothing here changes. doesn't land here. It lands in the lives of people who are in need in our community. We've got something extra special we're doing this year. I can't announce it yet. I've sampled it a little. We're finishing some details. Next week, we will be announcing together what we're doing, what we're giving to, and how the Christmas offering thing is going to work. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 today. If you like following along in the Bible, opening up your app, or you just want to make sure I'm not making this stuff up, Mark chapter 12 is where you could go, and I'll meet you in that text in a minute. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get after it. Let's pray. God and Father, thank you so much for this morning, and for life, and for waking us up, and for the opportunity to worship together so freely. Lord, I'm just asking, uh, as we as a church family get our hearts and minds around this idea of being generous people, that it would be you forming us from the inside out, that you would shape us with your word, and that something truly powerful would happen, not just in us, but through us into the lives of people in this world who are, in fact, in need. We need you for all that, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The setting of our text today is the temple. Uh, this is a Minecraft rendition of the actual temple where this story took place. If you've been a Jesus follower for long, you've probably heard the word temple before. You've seen Jesus at the temple. You've heard about stories that surrounding the temple and different temple things that happened, I think what we don't realize is if we actually walked around in this temple, just how impressive, how massive it actually was. Uh, 300 yards wide by 500 yards long. Okay, five football fields. That's from here well past the street that you drove down to get in here today. The center columns, the big places in the middle were over 900 stories tall. That's a couple of these gyms built by the hands of men out of stone for the purpose of worshiping God. If you walk through the temple, you would see doors, entire doors made of gold and shiny brass gates and all kinds of ornate decorations made for the purpose of honoring God and, and to be a holy and proper meeting place for the people of God. If you walked through the temple, what you would feel is crowds. There would be noises of trumpets blowing at different times to announce different happenings when sacrifices were made back then to cleanse the sins of the people. Trumpets would blow. They would hear it through town. It would be a mind reminder that you are free and forgiven. You would see people coming and going. There would be trumpets sounding to announce the arrival of priests or special guests who are in the temple. If you were to smell the temple, you might be a little put off. 
Because every day animals are sacrificed in this temple and you would see goats and animals and calves and things coming and going. It would smell like a farm. There would be droppings from the animals on the floor. You would hear them being slaughtered. You would smell the smells of animals that had just been killed for the ceremonial practices of freedom and forgiveness. Now, if you could look past all of that into the temple, though, and to see what was actually happening spiritually and socially, you would see a wretched class system at work. In a place that is supposed to be so holy, it's a, supposed to be marked by the presence of God, it's supposed to be this beautiful gathering place where people meet with God and God meets with them. It had been hijacked by some religious elites and they had separated the thing out by class and status. The people who actually gave more were treated better than people who didn't or couldn't give. The women were allowed to come to the temple but forced to stay in outer courts. The Gentiles, believers who are not Israelite by birth, were allowed to come to the temple, but they had to stay in their courts. And then as these high and mighty religious leaders would come in, they would expect extra honor, extra prestige, announce their, their, their presence with trumpets. And, and worse than that, they were stealing from people. One of the great temple stories you might have heard of is this day that Jesus was in the temple, had enough, and he ends up dumping the tables of money changers over and running people out of town. He cuts loose a bunch of livestock. They go running through the temple and create this whole scene there. What was happening? They would wait for foreigners to come in and they bring these, you know, these foreigners would just want to come and do their sacrifice and worship God. And they'd say, hey, your lamb, it's actually not a good lamb. Uh, uh, it's not good enough, but good news. Uh, you can buy some new lambs over here. We'll sell them to you for a markup. Oh my goodness, you brought in currency from, from Assyria? Oh, well, hey, no problem. We'll just exchange your money over here. They extort money on the money exchange. Not only are they robbing people, not only are they making them buy new livestock, but at the same exact time, they're robbing them as they change money to worship. And it just made Jesus sick. Now today, with our sensibilities and our mindset, you might be inclined to ask, well, why were these people doing this? Why did they go to the temple? Why did they worship there? Like, why would they put up with this? And the answer is because people would go to the temple to meet with their God. They were hungry for Him. They wanted to go there to connect with God and see and do what it was that would actually bless the heart of God. In Mark 12, something interesting happens. We get a great reversal. Because instead of man going into the temple to meet with God, God goes into the temple to be with man. Jesus Christ Himself, fully human, fully God, goes walking into the temple to point out to you and to me what it is that actually blesses God's heart. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 says this, Jesus went into the temple. It says Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, calling his disciples to him. Jesus said, you guys, you guys, you guys, truly I tell you, 
that this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, when I get to Jesus' passages and these historical narratives, I try and picture them from every angle possible. I understand that these writers only had so much pen and ink to go around, and so we get brief summaries of what is happening. They cut right to the chase and offer the most important details as to what's going on in those places, in those times, and in the life of Jesus. I like to see this from as many angles as I possibly can. I see Jesus. It says that he sat down. Rabbis would sit down to teach. I don't know how I got suckered into this thing where I have to stand and you guys sit, but back then it was different. The teacher would sit and everybody would gather around. They would sit there. They would talk. They would teach. They would preach. And and that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus intentionally sits down in this space to teach his disciples and those around him. The interesting thing is he decides to teach right here in this little court that's one of the noisiest places in the temple. The place where the offerings were given in the temple was one of the noisiest spots there was. Why? Well, a few things. Number one, as a part of this whole sham and this whole hustle, they would bring in these large bags of coins. These wealthy people would bring in their large bags of coins, and they had made the offering buckets out of brass. They were actually shaped like horns so everyone could hear how much they were given. On occasion, trumpets would play to announce the arrival of extra wealthy people. And they would walk in their bags of coins and dump them in for everyone to hear. I see it like a movie. I see this widow waking up that morning and she's the exact opposite of the dog and pony show that's happening at the temple. She's quiet. She's small. She's almost unnoticeable. I see her knowing she's going to give an offering at the temple. I see her barren cupboards. I see her reaching into a small bag with not very many coins in it. I see her walking into the temple as Jesus is there in his circle teaching. No one recognizes her. There would be no horns that blow when she arrives in the temple that day. I bet she didn't even plan on being noticed. She was probably used to not being noticed. And Jesus is there and there's a circle of people around him and they're teaching together. And then all of a sudden, he closes the book, shuts the Bible, rolls up the scroll, end of lesson. He sees the woman walking up to the offering bin over there and he just stops everybody. He's like, Peter, you got you guys. Watch. And she walks up and quietly, almost invisible, she puts in the two coins that were the very money she needed to live the next day in order to honor God. And then Jesus stops everyone. He says, you guys want to know? You want to know what honors God? It's that. 
You want to know what honors God? It is not the trumpets. It's not the noise. It's not this racket. He, he tells the disciples in just another chapter that one day this whole temple is going to come crashing to the ground. God is not impressed with the brass, the gold, the doors, the gates. He's not impressed with the games. He's not impressed with the whole hustle that's going on at this temple. He looks at the widow who gives sacrificially and he says, you want to know what blesses the heart of God? It's her. It's that. It's the quiet, sacrificial, loving generosity that she put on display that day. I love this about Jesus. I love this about Jesus. Uh, here's your phrase if you want a Jesus note. Jesus never suffered fools and he always detested phony religious games. Jesus never suffered fools and always detested the, uh, phony religious games. This is good news for a multi-generational church, okay? We got 18-year-olds who love this church and 78-year-olds who love this church and everything in between. This is good news. Go back one for me. This is good news for, uh, for a multi-generational church. I'll tell you why. Jesus never suffered fools. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus had a zero tolerance policy for people looking him in the eyes and telling him lies. Like Brit Brittany Allman does not suffer fools. Like she will gladly make the dinner awkward before we sit here and listen to somebody lie to our face, tell us some story or do so. I'm, I'm not kidding. I've had so many awkward moments. She's like, I'm done. I can see, I can see it coming now. We've been married for 15 years. I'm like, oh, it's happening. I, I'm like, I'll just grab my stuff. I'll be in the car, babe. And then I, it happens. That was Jesus. Jesus hated the, I could cuss, but I'm not going to, okay? My mother would watch the video and it'd be a whole bad deal. Jesus couldn't stand this crap. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about the temple? It's like it's baloney. It's all of it. It's coming crashing to the ground. You want to see what honors me? You want to see what honors God? It's this woman right here. It's authentic. It's real. It's gritty. It's sacrificial. That's what blesses the heart of God. And he never, he, never, he always detested phony religious games. He saw right through the junk. And I'll tell you, you know why I love this? This unites us as a church. Um, we've got all the generations here, okay? Uh, we got baby boomers born 1946 to 1964. Dedicated workers who value visibility. We got Gen X in this church. Independent, well-educated individuals. We got millennials in this church. Collaborative, impact-oriented generation. We got Gen Z. Optimistic, I didn't, their words, not mine. Optimistic and risk adverse. And here's what happens. Like, if you read any of the generation stuff, it, it all comes down to people complaining. Like, this one always points at that one. Like, they don't work hard enough. And then they're like, well, they don't understand. There's more to life than working. And they're like, this one's always on their phones. And then this one's like, you guys can't even work your phones. And it just goes round and round and round and round. You, you know what I love about, you know what I love about Jesus? We all have this in common with him. Every generation, okay, so 1946 through 2010, every generation hates phony. There's not a single person in here, age or stage of life, who's like, hey, could we, uh, uh, you know, this is cool, like talking about Jesus and the word, but I was hoping it could be a little more superficial and like, could, could we just like, could we just make this a little more like, ritual driven and like we could ignore God. Here's what we'll do. We'll ignore God. Nobody says that. We have that in common with each other and we have that in common with Jesus. Jesus never wasted a moment on phony, lip service, goofy religious games. And if we want to be a faithful church, we should always keep that in mind and we should do the same as well. 
is the woman. I want to talk about the woman for a minute. We know a few details about her. She was called the poor widow. She's one of the most marginalized people in that culture. She's a poor widow, which means something's wrong because there should be a family around her and looking out for her, and we'll come to this in a minute, and if it wasn't going to be a family around her and looking out for her, it should have been the very temple where she was giving her offering that day. She walks up with two coins, they're called lepta, L-E-P-T-A. They're worth one sixty-fourth of a day's wages. Pastor David Guzik wrote this about this, the wonderful thing about this widow's giving is that she had two mites, that's two coins, and she gave them both. She might have kept one coin for herself, and no one would blame her if she did. Instead, she gave with staggering generosity. She was a poor widow, she gave two coins, and here's the other thing, she gave, as Jesus points out, out of her poverty. She gave sacrificially. The way she gave on that Sunday, actually I think it was Monday, the way she gave on that Monday affected how much bread she had on Tuesday. It affected how much oil she could buy to cook and to meet her needs. She felt it. And as I think about this woman, I think she had so many reasons not to give that day. You know, she could have said, I don't trust these people. This, this temple, this racket, this hustle, like, come on, like, there's a gold door right there, and I don't have enough food for the next morning. I don't trust, I've been watching this thing, it's a scam. I've read Leviticus, I know that this temple is supposed to be taking care of my needs, but somebody up at the top is keeping all of it to themselves. Why should I give? They've already failed me, they're not doing what I want, they're not doing what I said. Like, why, why would I trust them? Come on, don't you know some people like that? They're like, I, I'm not giving. I'm not giving to Salvation Army. I'm not giving to a church. I'm not giving to this other organization. I don't trust them. All they want is your money. The woman could have said that. And yet she gave. Here's a crazier thing. Jesus saw her giving and didn't keep her from giving. Why? The answer is trust. Although the appearance of the temple may have not been right and beautiful and pure, Jesus sees this woman and she's putting her trust in God. She's trusting that he's worthy. She's trusting that he's watching. He's trusting that he's going to meet her needs the next morning when the sun comes up. She's trusting that God will judge those who abuse the use of her resources, and that's none of her business. She's displaying her trust in God in the process. Can I tell you something? There is no foundation for generosity without trust. 
You don't give if you think it's all on you. And hey, when I talk giving, yeah, we got a Christmas offering. We're going to give it all away. Yeah, I'm talking about being a generous person. I'm talking about giving something when you see somebody that you pass by with the sign on the street. I'm talking about being a generous person in your workplace and picking up the lunch tab. This is so much bigger. But let me just tell you something. There is no giving without trust. Without a deep trust in God. You have every reason to keep everything you have to yourself. Without a deep trust that God's out there and he's up to something and he's working in the world and he sees you and he's promised to provide for you, there is no giving outside of that basic fundamental element of trust. Since we are a church and we're talking Jesus and giving and generosity, can I just acknowledge it takes trust to give regularly at any church, this one included. The foundation of generosity in a church family is always trust. I, I think it's easy for us to give, like when, I'm, when we bring some need to the table, oh my gosh, there's these kids and they need computers. Oh my gosh, so many folks at Vista Square, they don't have gas. Oh my gosh, we found this family. The family doesn't have school supplies, but we could change that for this family. That's easy giving. Like that's like, ooh, I feel bad. I have some. I could do that. But that regular generosity, I think Kendall did such a good job when he brought that up today. That regular generosity that makes it so there's kids over there that are watching the Bible be taught to them on a TV that is, is built together with a great software system that has people who act and teach and relate the Bible to young people. Like that, that, that comes through your regular giving here. When somebody comes up, when we had an outreach event, we have guests here and people who are far from God, they come here and explore God and it's safe and it's nice and their kids get the face paint and there's burritos and so they feel like they can hang out a little longer and they don't have to be nervous about what's coming next. It, that happens through regular giving. Our student ministry on Wednesdays, gathering together in a facility that's safe and clean and, and great and, and a team that's teaching these young people the Bible and growing a generation of kids who are going to love and serve God, that happens through regular giving. And can I tell you something? I'm the first one to tell you that takes trust. I think the text would ask you and it would ask me if we have a trust like the woman in this passage. I think the woman in the passage could have given just because she didn't have enough. She could have looked at, I mean, it was two coins. Jesus says it's everything she had to live on. You, she could just say, hey man, I'm broke. Lord, I bet you get me on that. Hey, my name is the poor widow. Like, they're telling my story 2,000 years from now. They don't even know my first name. I'm just poor widow. First name, poor. Last name, widow. That's how we know this woman. She's the poor widow. She could have said, I don't have it. I ain't got it. It's a tough month. The cabinets are kind of empty. There's not a lot going on. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I bet there's other people that could give instead of me. She could have just said, I don't have it. She could have just said, I, I can't even step into the world of generous because I don't even have enough money to be generous. But I think it's a good time to talk about this important principle. Jesus' words, he says, she gave out of her poverty. There's this important idea. Okay, 20-somethings, this is for you. Generosity is not about portion, but rather proportion. Generosity is not about the end number and how many zeros there are. Generosity 
is about how generous I'm being relative to what I have. The great Bishop T.D. Jake said it like this, generosity is a spirit you carry in your heart and not an amount that is written on a check. He pointed out in this message, I'll never forget it, there's all kinds of different places and stages. There are poor people who are generous. There are poor people who are stingy. There are rich people who are stingy, and there are rich people who are generous. Why? Because generosity is something that exists in your soul. And 20-somethings, look at me. Uh, high school students, look at me. Don't ever buy into the lie, I'll give when I have some more to give. Don't ever buy into the lie like when the income inflates and things are going a little bit better, well, that's when I'll begin my generosity journey. I can tell you with confidence, if you're not generous when the paycheck has two digits, you're not going to be generous when it has three. If you're not generous when the paycheck has three digits, you're not going to be generous when it has four or five or six, God bless you, maybe seven one day. But cultivating a generous soul, it, it takes place completely apart from your net worth. It's about how much you trust God and how you view what He has given you. That's where generosity is born. As we look around the temple court that day with the loud sounds and the animals and the quiet woman and Jesus stopping the lesson. There's another important detail you can't afford to miss. When we study the Bible, we've talked about this over and over and over again. Context is king. Remember, context is king. We can understand more about what's happening in a passage by looking at the context of that passage. You look at what's happening, what's going on. I was studying this with J.K. You guys met J.K. last week. I was studying this with him, and he's forgotten more about the Bible than I've even learned up to this point. And I said, um, hey, anything I should know about this passage? And he said, hey, Matt, you, you know what day this was, right? I was like, no. He's like, y you know what Jesus was doing at the temple in Jerusalem in the first place was, right? I said, no. And he said, Matt, this is the Monday before Jesus was going to give his life up on a cross to die. This is Monday. He's getting crucified Friday. Why is he in Jerusalem that day? Because he had come to die on a cross to save us first from our sins. J.K. goes, Matt, go to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I did. And it said these words, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's the gospel, right? Jesus is sitting in heaven, right hand of God, unlimited light, love, and perfection. He comes to earth on a mission to die for the sins of humanity, not just die a death like in his sleep one day, the most honorable, loving, generous person to ever walk the face of the earth, fully human, fully God, like goes to a cross to die. Why? For you. For me. 
To, to pay the price, the punishment that we deserve for our sins and to win us into the loving care of His heavenly Father. I, I think about the cross and I'm just like, wow, that sounds like a lot of pain. But, but what about all the others? What about Jesus being spit on by a Roman soldier knowing He could snap His fingers and obliterate that guy? What about what it felt like when Jesus washes the feet of His disciples, Judas included, and then Judas goes walking into the night to turn His back on Jesus? What about Jesus knowing, knowing the whole time He's the Savior? He's doing this for the people who are harassing Him, and He chooses to do it anyways. He was rich, and He became poor. Why? So we could become rich in Him. It's the Monday before Jesus dies and he watches this woman slink quietly over to the offering and give sacrificially. Why does this light up the heart of God? Why does this matter? Jesus is pointing to her because she's doing with her money what he's going to do with his life on a cross in just a few short days. That gift, that offering that generosity is a picture of the love of God that will, will be displayed through Jesus on the cross. Jesus is saying, hey, look at this. Pay attention to this because you're going to see more of that in just a second. And I'll tell you something, guys. This is where generosity is born. Okay, next week, we're going to set a goal. We're going to do something cool. There's going to be a big, it's going to be fun and all that stuff. Like, and you can grow generous by practicing it because I do believe you see the blessing of generosity. But I'm like, if you truly want to become a radically, lavishly generous person from the inside out, it starts right here. It starts with cultivating an awareness that you don't stand a chance without the grace of God. It is feasting on the idea that I should not have a relationship with God. I've failed a lot of times. I've brought the pain on myself and I've hurt other people, yet He found me worthy to give the life of His Son so I could live with Him forever. I'm in that. I'm drenched in that. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm not even a sinner who's saved. I'm just saved, saved. I'm clean, free, and forgiven. And that was a gift given to me. And then I hold on to that. I savor that. And I look back at what God has given me. And then I go, what do I do with this in light of that? That's where generosity is born. I just want to tell you this morning, as your pastor, my dream for you is that you would be known as a radically, lavishly generous person. And I'll tell you why. Generous people impart hope. Generous people increase the amount of hope that is in the world. And I don't just know this because I've done it. I know this firsthand because I've been on the receiving end of some radical generosity. Britt and I got married. Somebody gave us a honeymoon. They, they put us on a cruise ship. We did the one that goes from L.A. down Baja, like Puerto Vallarta, Mazatlan, and Cabo, and it was cool. And it was like five days of pretending that we weren't going to be flat broke when we got home. We literally, I'm not exaggerating, 
took bread with us when we were leaving the cruise ship. Like, gonna need this, thank you. And we came home to this. That's actually a picture from our fridge when we first moved into our home. The McDonald's sauces came with the apartment and we kept them because we might need them one day. Here's our cabinet. Here's Britt and I with all of our furniture and belongings at this stage in our life. Nothing! And I was working, a jo- I was working two jobs. I, had, I was an intern at a church and I was working at a gym on the side and Britt was working at a Starbucks and things were tight. I'll never forget like the amount of stress and pressure we felt trying to make the ends meet. And it was like, hey, we need new tires or you could go to the dentist. Hey, I'd like to buy some eggs for next week. And I understand that means we're not going to buy an antenna this week to have TV with the antenna going out the window. And we had this week where the ends were barely, they they weren't going to touch. And it was dark. We came back home, grabbed the mail at the little thing out the door and bring it in with us. And we were recipients of the stereotypical random check in the mail that no one knew to send you. It just showed up, gift from God, $230. And it was exactly what we needed to pay our uh, electrical bill that week and make it. And here's the thing I learned about them. It was cool like not to have our power cut off. It was cool to like, okay, our needs are met, we're actually provided for. But can I tell you what that did that was way beyond just keeping the lights on? It gave us hope. There was something in that moment with that check where I'm like, he sees us. We're not alone. And we're going to make it. And it taught me that generous people impart hope in the world around them. It wasn't just getting us by. It got us to where we are today because it was a bridge of hope to carry us through that season of our lives. Generous people impart hope. Generous people live free. I hope you're a radically generous person. I hope you have quiet habits of generosity that are just outlandish and unthinkable because it'll make you more free. In one of Jesus' greatest money sermons, he says, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I cannot serve both God and money. And make no mistake about it, all of us, We'll have that war in our hearts at some point. It it could be when you grew up with so little and now you're consumed with never wanting to feel that way again. It could be a wrestling match with God over this conviction you have to give and you really don't want to because you're afraid of what's going to come on the back side of that. It could be deciding that enough is enough and God's overflowing what you've been given and it's time to create a strategy for living off less so you could give more. It could be that season where you struggle to trust that God really has your back. If you take, Can you really take him at his word when it comes to this whole give what I have away thing? Can I really 
really trust that he's my provider. The war in our hearts, the war between should I give, should I not, the war between is my stuff going to own me or do I own my stuff? When we fight that war, our weapon against greed is generosity. And generous people make love visible. Generous people make love visible. Last story and I'll be done. You guys can come on up. My dad was in town last weekend. Some of you guys met my dad. Some of you kind of know him now from being around. He's a fun guy, like not a lot of talking. You know, you see him, it's like, He's a great dude. I, I mean, amazing father present. Never questioned his love for, for me. My whole entire life, it's one of the greatest blessings I've ever received. Um, but suffice it to say, he's not a big talker and he's not a big feeler, okay? Like his feelings are like angry and hungry. And then I got that from him, okay? And, and, and so, you know, my whole childhood, we didn't have like a lot of Danny Tanner full house moments. Like, you know, the, the soft music comes in and then there's a life lesson. And we didn't have a lot of like Carl Winslow and Eddie Winslow moments where I was in a jam and he came and rescued me right at the end. And I was like, thanks, Pop. Or, or Will, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, you know, Will and, Will and Uncle Phil where it starts out as a screaming match and then it turns into the hug you needed your whole life. Like we didn't do that, okay? Like it was, a, it was an implied love, okay? The whole time, it was great. And when I was in sixth grade, I, this is the dumbest story, but it's so real to me. When I was in sixth grade, it was when the paintball phase, like paintball craze took over America. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's like a gun that's powered by CO2 that shoots a little ball of paint and you go run around in the woods with your friends and shoot each other with paintballs, okay? I told you it's a weird story, but it's my story, so it's what you get today. And I freak out. I mean, I'm saving my money. I bought this. Yeah, this is back. You had to send away in a magazine. I had to get a magazine. I had to save up my money, put a check in an envelope, and send it away to get this paintball gun. It was called the Stingray. It was so cool. It's a big black paintball gun. End up getting the paintball gun, shooting in all the stuff, uh, you know, put up little targets in the backyard, the whole deal. The paintball gun ran on CO2. And so you'd have this little, you, there's these little CO2 cartridges. And You'd put it into this adapter and screw it into the back of the gun. You'd fire the gun like 20 times and you'd have to change it and all this stuff, okay? So to remedy this in the paintball community, they just said, hey, let's just make the CO2 cartridge like this big. And so you could buy this huge black CO2 cartridge with a little stock on the back and like use it as a part of your paintball gun. I was like, I have to have this. I cannot be the only chump out here like in the middle of war unscrewing this thing and changing it over and over and over again. I was like, I have to. And it was one of those like, I, I spent all my money trying to acquire the paintball gun and the paintballs and all the stuff. I'm broke, okay? Sixth grade broke. Just already all the coins in my room have been collected. I shake down all the couches. I am broke. I really want it. I wanted it so bad I could taste it. And so, I go to bed one night and I wake up the next morning, the sun's coming in our window, my eyes are, you know, a little cloudy and on the wall directly across from the foot of my bed, there's a trash bag duct taped to the wall. I'm like, well, that's weird. Trash bag, black trash bag duct taped to the wall. 
In my head, I'm like, well, there can only be one person, like dead, clearly duct taped a trash bag to the wall. Like, what is going on here? And, and I go and I'm like, all right, let me see. I feel it and I'm like, oh my gosh, no way. And I tear the trash bag down from the wall and the duct tape stays stuck there. I'm just ripping the thing off and I open up the bag and it is that exact CO2 container that I had been dying for. And the craziest thing overtook me in that moment. As sure as I'm talking to you right here, right now, my mind was overwhelmed with one thought. And the thought was, my dad really loves me. And it was one of the most prominent, pointed, clear times that I felt the love of my dad in tangible form. And it was because of the gift. Guys, when we're generous, we take this big, bold theory called the love of God, and we make it visible in the world around us. Oh, you better prepare for next week because we're coming right back here and we're going to unpack our generosity project, which we will finish this year doing. And you better believe we will make God's love visible to people who are hurting in our city right now. And in doing so, here's the other thing. We don't just make God's love visible in the world around us. We make our love for God visible to Him. There's very few times in the scriptures that Jesus was knocked over or amazed. And this little moment in the temple was one of those. And I think the greatest thing that happened in that moment was not the widow blessing the temple, but the way she blessed Jesus just days before he would give his life for her. That's where we're going. That's what's coming next. Would you stand and pray with me?